So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. This week we'll talk about our frustrating defeat to Wasps, England's frustrating defeat as well, review the rest of the Six Nations games and the Premiership, probably have a, a good rant about Carreras because he's such a bloody idiot. Um, as always you can find us on social media. So on Facebook if you type in at Falcon Falcons you'll see our faces. Um, again for Twitter at Falcon Falcons. And if you'd like to send us a direct email, it's folkonfalcons at mail.com. So first things first, Friday night, good first half, bad second half. And there was kind of one incident in the match that kind of signalled the change in the, the tides. Yeah, um, I mean, without sort of sounding, using the same cliche as everyone else did probably on the night, um, same soundbite, it was very much a, a match of two halves. Um but similar result, obviously, to what we've been experiencing recently. And in many ways, similar sort of story in terms of we defeated ourselves, especially, of course, in the second half. Um, I mean, with the first half, obviously, we had the, the decent lead 18-6. But whilst I think everyone would have been pleased with that, and it was definitely more positive than the negative, of course. But I think everyone probably had the impression that we left a try or you know, maybe 10 points out there. And I think another try, well, it would have been, that would have done it, but I think another try, which they should have gone, would have been obviously a lot more comfortable at half-time. I mean, I, I never felt comfortable with that score because I always thought Wasps would come back at us. Um, I thought they probably would get right telling off at half-time. But yeah, second half was just an implosion and a disappointment in many ways and a sort of repeat of what we've been seeing recently, unfortunately. The match started off without much fanfare, just penalties traded by each side. And then Falcons started putting on quite a heavy spell of pressure, which, to be honest, lasted for the next 20, 25 minutes, in which we we got two tries, but spent the majority of it with the ball. And once again, we, we made very, very hard work of our two tries. And there was one moment where we had um, a quick tap penalty. Well, it wasn't a quick tap penalty. It was a, a set-piece tap penalty. And instead of the forwards taking it in, which is proved quite beneficial this season um we're going to do a little pass out to luther burrell and then the ball was ripped and then before you know it they've cleared the lines and i think that kind of summarized our first half in that we had all this territory and then we can't actually get the ball over the line as many times as we need to and then good on the other end of the pitch a few moments later and we've we've all seen the replays several times and i now i guess and if you haven't um bassett the winger for wasps looked for all the world like he's going to score carreras had, and um i think it was penny did a very good job of holding up and then for some unknown reason carreras decides that he's going to stick his hand in Bassett's eye. I'd love to be able to try and find an excuse and say he was just trying to do X, Y, or Z. It was a complete accident, nothing intention. But I've seen it several times. I, I can't come up with any excuse. It's just one of the things you can't condone. I would like to say he's an idiot, but it's not. It's not the sort of thing that an idiot does. It's a thought through, malicious act, and it's not idiot. It's thuggery, and no place for it on rugby pitch. And if I'm honest, he's going to get a long ban. I think Dean Richard should put him on the next flight back to Buenos Aires because. If he does play again this season, it'll be the last couple of games. I'd much rather have someone who's not going to be going back to Argentina next year anyway, building on some of the potential squad players that we've got. Because if I was another squad player, I wouldn't want him to be in the same training session as me, if I'm perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, it was very disappointing. You're right. I mean, there's no way you could possibly defend it. I thought from the first replay, I thought straight away, I thought that's pretty nasty and deliberate. Um I mean, rush, you know, rush of blood to the head. I don't know. I mean, it. You don't know what goes through players' minds when they when they do things like that. Um, it's not even like he was under any pressure. Or we had any sort of past history in the game with Bassett or anything. It just seemed to be. 
you know, a, a ridiculous act out of nowhere. And you're right. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him again this season. He will get a long ban. And as you say, I mean, I didn't actually initially think of that, but I think you're probably right in terms of, well, you know, if you do have a permanent winger, you know, I guess if Radwan and Stevenson are both fit anyway, you'd start them no matter what. But you know, what, why would you play him again? I mean, there's no pressure to play him, I guess. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a real shame, actually, because... Um, obviously he showed flashes of what he could do in the last game didn't really get much in well on Friday night um, but both him and Gordana I guess have been a, just unfortunately a failure really haven't they because they're a big fanfare they're just going to be sent home with, with no real effect well one was very much an unfortunate injury um, the other's just it's not minor stupidity it's act of thuggery and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets an at least a 15-week ban, which takes him out for the rest of the season. Oh, I mean, obviously, of course, they're both in different, very different circumstances. Um, one unfortunate one is just terrible. Um, but yeah, I mean that. I mean that it was very disappointing. I guess it kind of capped off a, a very disappointing night. And I suppose we were lucky to be only down to 13 at one point. It could have been more, really. I was quite surprised with, with all the the TMO and all the technology they have in terms of the video ref and, and whatnot, that they didn't have a look at that. Uh, I thought we very much got away with that one. And actually, I think in hindsight, we're probably lucky to, when we were down to that period of 13 men, for it to be as much as 13 men, because that could have been obviously a, a very easy straight red. That was the end of the first half. Um, we managed to weather that storm, incidentally, and it was 18-6 at half time. But when that's happened, it's the perfect team talk and getting everyone fired up because it's, look what they're just trying to do. Let's smash these people. And also the fact that they hadn't played terribly well in the first half. And you could see that as soon as they came out in the second half, they were up for it and they just complete. It, it reminded me um, a bit of the start of the England-New Zealand semi-final of the World Cup where one team was just so much more up for it than the other and they, they were just formidable. And it, it would, I'm not sure any team in the Premiership could have stopped Wasps the mood they were in at the start of that second half. And we held out for a reasonable amount of time, gave away a few penalties and then we got two Simbins, which I think were fully deserved the amount of penalties we've given away. Um, what's slightly concerning is that the last three or four games, we've given away a lot of penalties, whereas at the start of the year, we gave away very few. Um, I, I can't quite put my finger on what the difference is. Obviously, when you're under a lot of pressure, it, it's easier to give away penalties because you're defending and the, the referee's um, kind of watching you more. But I can't quite work it out. A lot of them seem to be relatively unforced. Is it just a lack of discipline or is it um, panicking and just thinking, well, it's better to give away a penalty than score um, and concede three points in the try, but then they don't try and kick the try, uh, kick the kick, and then you end up with another penalty getting given away. What, what, what are your thoughts on it? I think it's a combination of both. I think ill-discipline has crept in, unfortunately. Um, we haven't been as resolute and as disciplined as we were at the start of the season. And I think also, as you say, we I think we're under pressure a bit more. I think we were quite fortunate in the good wins we did have. I mean, don't take... You know, all credit to us. I mean, we, we were very good in those games, but I think in hindsight, the the break did us wonders because I think we were obviously very well drilled, very well prepared f- for those early games. While the other teams were sort of half still on preseason, really, weren't they? That's such a short preseason. They probably didn't know necessarily what to expect from us. Maybe sort of underestimated us, and that very much worked in our favour. Um, that's obviously not the case now. They know what to expect. Um, these teams are much better. I mean, let's not forget, Wasp were very closely beaten finalists last season so obviously they have the the ability to be a very 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 good team and they've 
for them, fortunately for them, they've had a poor season so far, but the the ability is there somewhere, which they obviously show in the second half. Um, so I think it's a combination of both. I think we're getting found out more, we're getting put under pressure more, and the, just our general discipline just isn't there as it was at the start of the season. We used to do the Hello Game feature, and it be, I, I didn't realise quite how many um, ex-Falcons players would be knocking about the Wasp squad, because Kieran Brooks, unfortunately, couldn't make a return to Kingston Park because of injury, but then you had Gopper that fly off, you had Kibberegi on the wing, and um, old Rob Miller at fullback, if you remember him from back in the day. You didn't, it was, I was surprised that BT Sport, or there hasn't been much press about the amount of backs that Wasps had, but um, Kibberegi showed quite how useful he was because he made quite a few incisive runs. Jimmy Gopper, as we know, he, he kicked his points quite well, but um, it was also quite nice to see him get an assist at Kingston Park, albeit for Penny because of that crossfield kick. And then. Um, Rob Miller, who he's one of these players where he came through the ranks at a relatively young age at Kingston Park, and he was always a reasonably good player, but I think he, he went off Sale Sharks and then ended up at Wasps. And um, he's not really been the forefront of anything for years, but he's always been knocking around the background, and he's always been a very capable player. I think he's had a few uh, injuries of reasonable length in his career, but um, he's certainly not a bad player. I think with Kiberigi especially, um, I've always thought he was sort of one that got away. For whatever reason, we never seemed to play him, even at times where we were playing poorly and perhaps it was an opportunity to kind of try him out. Um, similarly to when they kind of played Radwan towards the end of that relegation season, they never really bothered with Kibarigi. And, you know, I don't blame him really for leaving for getting more game time. And he's ended up obviously at a very good club. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think Gopper is obviously the, the most high profile one. There was some uh, attention on, on him. Um, and it was a really, really nice crossfield kick for, for Penny. Um, so it shows that he still has it. Um, but I, I do think, seriously I do think that actually if the chance came that we could get Goffer back I would still snap your hand off he's still obviously a very very good player when when we were looking at Jimmy Goppeth against Joel Hodgson it just shows quite what we're lacking at the minute I felt that Hodgson um, he didn't have a, a bad game in terms of catching it and passing it which is the, the obvious bits of a flyer halves game but it just seems that there isn't perhaps the awareness of the game that you get from other fly halves there was not really a great deal of strategy to a lot of our play. There was often a lot of space in behind that wasn't being exploited. He was not putting runners through gaps or not exploiting weaknesses in defence. It seems very formulaic. And if I'm honest, I think that if the Mitchell's recruitment drive, number 10's got to be one of the positions he's going to have to be seriously looking at. Well, I mean, we said at the start of the season, didn't we, that Flyhoff was a, a position where we had concerns about. I mean, he, he had that... Before, before his terrible injury, he had that really good form a couple of years ago where he thought, oh, you know, he's arrived, basically. Um, but I'm still not fully convinced he's a starting premiership level fly half, quite frankly. Um, they, they do really need to get someone to to really fill that fill those boots because it's, as you say, in attack, it just doesn't look like it's there. Um, it's all very sort of one-dimensional um he doesn't do anything exceptional he just sort of passes it along the line or whatever i mean he does the occasional good thing um i don't i don't think he's a bad player by any means but i just don't think he shows the qualities of what we need for a starting by half in the, in the premiership if we're gonna kick on really it has to be said um off the tee kicking he was reasonably good and he was unfortunate with the one that rebounded off the post um, but then that one that rebounds off the post wasn't a difficult kick and we lost by two points so I guess the finger could be pointed there but he did get a couple of trickier kicks throughout the game I'm wondering going sort of rewinding back slightly with regards to the penalties we exceeded obviously when we went down to, to 13 
I still think that actually, if we we should have just conceded the try, surely. And I think a lot of people thought that at the time that we'd better just concede the try and have 15 men and have over 20 minutes to be only two points down with obviously a full contingent. Um, I thought that was pretty poor and a bit sort of mindless to keep getting away those penalties. I think maybe there should have sort of put a gamemanship there and maybe we could have forced the try further out, push them out and just kind of let them score in the corner and then hopefully make the conversion a bit harder and go down the pitch and try and get the lead again. I thought we kind of had the worst of two worlds by eventually giving away the try, but then also going down to 13 men, even though obviously it was pretty heroic in terms of how long they, they held out for. Um, I have to disagree with you on that. I, I think that fundamentally you can never just give away a try. You've always got, I think giving away deliberate penalties and getting players simmons are stupid. Penalties we gave away, we didn't have to give away. You're better just to defend and let them knock it on eventually or give give away a penalty for holding on or something. To say just give away a try, I don't go along with. Um, part of the reason for that is when we were down to 13 men, I think we only conceded the seven points because I think we conceded the first try in the second half when we still had 15. Therefore, if we'd have just given away a try, then we would have been just as badly off as if we hadn't just considered a try and you just run the risk of them coming back down and getting another one um i mean i mean yeah i mean that is true um i just think that i mean obviously you defend it as best you can i'm not suggesting just sort of let them walk in um but i, I think the, the main question the main issue is really the, the the time so if we had obviously defend as much as we could and if they score then so be it obviously defend about giving away the penalties um i think it was a key thing that obviously by the time we did get the full contingent back we barely had any time left um and i think if we had conceded and even if they even better if they missed a conversion that would have given us obviously lots and lots of time to to regain the i mean we i mean it's not very likely for falcons but we could have sort of got a penalty straight almost straight from the kickoff and we could have just kicked, really cut the minutes we could have had the lead again um so i mean that's sort of why my the argument is it seemed a bit brainless to kind of give away the needless penalties and risk well that's a risk isn't it really the risk of giving away those needless penalties just to just to keep out the seven points if i can put it that way i mean it's not ideal by any means and it's not something i like to see done all the time obviously but i just kind of thought in that situation if it was if you just kept giving away penalties and penalties and penalties then it's probably better just to kind of get it over with and have 25 minutes left or whatever to get back although having said that um we did have time at the end um we, we did get a penalty which we kicked to not the corner but around the 22 and you thought right this is our chance um build a couple of phases and then either go for the drop goal or wait for a penalty or just try and score a try and once again in the last two minutes Carl Cooper kind of loses the game for us oh, well, that's probably a bit harsh to say he didn't lose the game for us but he was isolated he didn't look for support he just went in by himself and penalty got given away for holding on and that that was our chance but right in the middle of the pitch if we'd have just taken a second there looked for support and set up Hodgson could have gone back in the pocket and the way he was kicking I think he probably would have got it I mean you just knew straight away though didn't you you knew straight away when he was on that run you're thinking well he looks pretty isolated here we'll do well to kind of get this one back and you just knew that after a big delay of a couple of seconds when it looked like it was going to be a struggle you just knew what was going to happen yeah and obviously tables were flipped and bad words were said and whatever but it was interesting Richard's comments at the end said that you know we couldn't quite get in that position for, for a drop goal and I think if they'd sort of secured that one well, that was a prime position for it um, so maybe it was sort of a reference at that but Cal Cooper's a funny one I mean I'm I'm quite disappointed actually in how it, what he's done this season I thought I mean, he, I thought it was crucial to us when we finished fourth. He was a really good signing. You know, he's one of these sort of golden oldies that worked really well for us. 
I thought in the relegation season he was one of our better players. I mean, we all remember like the the great try away to Toulon, which was absolutely exceptional in that game. Uh, but obviously, he wasn't didn't play for us at all last season. Then he's come back, and I mean, I don't know. I don't think we, you can kind of blame the fact he's been put in a different position because his the mistakes of kind of in general play. I think he still has that ability when he gets the ball to make ground. He, he does make meters with ball in hand, but it just seems to be decision making, isn't it? Which you just wouldn't expect from a player is as experienced as his. And it's not like he's he has a history of terrible decision making. It's really odd and it's quite disappointing because I think he, he still had the potential to be a, a really good asset for us, and especially when we have quite relatively young front row in many ways um he could have been a good influence there but yeah it's, it's a bit of a disappointing shame i think that yeah um it's very strange like as you say i'd say three and two seasons ago when we came fourth and got relegated he was probably one of the best hookers in the league and i think that's shown by the fact that exeter signed him on loan for a period of time and i'm, I, I'm not sure he got much game time for exeter but at some point told that he's going to play it proper he's decided he's going to move away from hooker but it's surely a mutual decision it's the sort of thing where it's such a fundamental change to a rugby player that there must have been some decision made by him and the club that this is what we're going to try and do at prop is he a bad prop no is he ever going to be a great prop i think probably not um it seems very odd to me that i don't know if there's a reason that he hasn't gone back to hooker i don't think there's an or i can't think of any injuries where he could play a prop but not hooker it seems a strange one so would it not just be better for him as a rookie player to move back to hooker where he was very good and probably still would be very good or to try and kind of carve out a career as a prop that comes off the last 20 minutes I, I i can't really work it out yeah well i mean how you know is he really at a stage of his career where he can start to carve out sort of new routes for himself um all i can think of is that if from the club point of view is that they've said to him look we want to have mcguigan and blamey as our hookers you know, they're obviously the younger we want them coming through. Uh, that's the way we want to go. And he's either said, oh, that's fine. Or he's kind of said, or he's just kind of, yeah, he maybe he's at the stage of his career where he's saying, all right, well, you know, I'm happy to get the paycheck at a premiership club. Yes, fine. I'll go in front row, whatever. I'll come on as, as needs be. But like I said, I don't think, I can't see why the position change would have effect on his decision making in general play. I just, I, just I'm, I don't really think that's sort of linked unless it's kind of goes to the fact he hasn't had that much game time and his sort of mind's rusty or something. Thing, but you would have thought the experience would make up for that but yeah it's a really strange one that one um, and unfortunately I mean yeah it's hard to say he lost us the game but you know that's a couple of times this season in close games where it potentially has cost us and it's really surprising do you think he can still throw in lineouts because they weren't good again um well yeah I mean maybe we could just get him to throw lineouts you can keep him as prop but get him to, to do the throw-ins um I mean, yeah, I mean, well, what has happened to our line-out, so, honestly? Um, I, I mean, the, I think the excuse we kind of gave ourselves last time was, well, there was no Fuza, no, Robinson wasn't starting, you know, there was a few personnel changes, obviously wasn't functioning, but pretty much full strength, wasn't it, apart from Wilson and Graham, but they've been missing a lot anyway this season. Yeah, I, I don't know what, what sort of got on with that, and they really have to nail that down, because that is an absolute basic. I mean, let's face it, if you win every line-out in, in a match, you're going to you're gonna be in a game, aren't you? I mean, you're going to, because you're obviously going to possession and you're going to cause a threat if you start if that's the opposite way around then you, obviously the obvious the opposite applies you're not going to be in the game and it's just, it's swaying too much unfortunately to, to the negative way um but yeah i can't see why they can't just kind of get that nailed down and get back to, to what it was and it's, it's really weird how teams kind of get in the habit of winning lines and get in the habit of losing them and it seems like it's one of these things like it's an oil tanker to try and change it you can't just turn it around it's it's something that for some reason just takes ages and i can't work i can't work out what's going on 
whether they've tried changing the calls, whether opponents have, might have worked out what we were doing, I, I, I don't know. But um, it's not not good. Um, one area that was a bit better is there was no Falcon specials, I called them, last week, which was the, the kickoffs getting fumbled. But that's because um, Wasps kept kicking it extremely deep, which I think actually benefited us because most of our kickoffs we received probably between the 5-meter line and the 22, and therefore it was relatively easy to catch them with no pressure, set up a phase, and then a, a clearing, clearing hoof down the line, and then let Wasps set up on the halfway 10-meter line area. Yeah, I mean, it's still very much heart and mouth stuff every time they had a kickoff. Sort of perhaps maybe slightly linked to that is another Falcon special where you mentioned it briefly at the start about how we have to work very hard for our points, and they didn't. I thought... We had to work very hard for our three points in the start of the match, and then they didn't at all have to work hard for their three points. It's very easy to say it's in hindsight, but I, I do believe that genuinely at the time I kind of thought uh, we're going to struggle here because that, that kind of pattern was repeating itself where we had to work really hard for all our points, and then we relatively easily and quickly, not straight from the kickoff this time, but not far, not long after, give away you know, needless and necessary points. So I kind of felt that it was sort of repeating ourselves there and we're going to be maybe in for a tough night at that point. Obviously, at half-time, I felt a bit differently, but I think I do generally, even with hindsight, that I thought that pattern was coming in. I guess, at the end, it really did, I suppose, unfortunately. So next week, um, I believe we're playing against Leicester. What are the details for that one? Yeah, so it's a Sunday game, quite rare nowadays. Three o'clock kickoff away to Leicester, obviously at Welford Road. Uh, I presume it'll be on one of the BT channels. I don't know if it'll be one of the funny ones or or whatever. Press the red button, job. But uh, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be on BT somewhere. Um, but yeah, quite rare. We've got a, a Sunday game for a change. We're gonna throw all of our plans into disarray next weekend. I'm not used to that. Um, how do you see us stacking up? Obviously, Leicester aren't doing too badly at the minute. They they keep getting. Um, bonus points here and there, either winning ones or losing ones. Um, do you think realistically that's a, a one that we have a chance of winning, or do you think it just depends which Falcons team turn up and whether we can do it for a full 80? Well, it's like all these other games, isn't it? There's a, you know, there is a realistic chance of winning, but in our current form, the, and the, obviously not just the form in terms of performances, I don't think you can say that we are going to win it. Um, I think you've got to be realistic. You've got to look at current form. Well, we'll have to see. I mean... We keep saying, oh, you know, which Falcons team is going to turn up, but it's been a long time since the good Falcons team has turned up. So um, we'll just have to kind of keep our fingers crossed and hope. I think it could be fairly close, and everyone needs fairly close ones, but I think, unfortunately, uh, a fairly close defeat. Obviously, will we have Mark Wilson back, or is he still going to be out with one of these stupid cool-down weekends that the England players seem to be able to angle? I think probably one of those stupid cool-down weekends that the players are able to angle. Um, I... Yeah, because I think it's generally the case, isn't it? After Six Nations, that they get him to get a week off or so. I, I mean, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe he can just declare himself fit and ready. I mean, maybe it's up to the player. Perhaps they're given the option to for like a player welfare basis or whatever. Or the fact they've been in that bubble for two months or whatever, so they're given the option saying, "Well, you have a week off, or do you want to play?" And you may say he's available. I don't, I don't really know what the the rules are really. Um, maybe covid rules kind of restrict that because they got retested or something i don't know but i mean obviously hopefully he does come back for that game if not then maybe we'll see him against ospreys who knows you mentioned ospreys we've got um after next week's match against leicester we've got the the two european fixtures um or the two weekends lined up for european fixtures hopefully we get them both by winning the first game um one other thing to mention is um we talked about the the premiership cup a few weeks ago how it was being planned for midweek um that that's now been axed so after saying it wasn't going to happen then introducing it they've now said it's not going to happen again so 
they wasted our time, we wasted your time. Send the bill to the RFU, it's not our fault. We're just reporting on what we see in the papers and, and uh, what they seem to be flip-flopping and deciding this week and then deciding again the next. I think that does raise a few concerns, though, about kind of what's the point in having huge squads of players at the minute um, when a lot of them seem to be fallback players that maybe play once or twice a season if or if that get on the bench once or twice a season and then they have their time to shine in those those fixtures like the Premiership Cup. Um, it does make you wonder kind of the long-term state of rugby and the, the pool of available players and whether it's sustainable or not. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just obviously maybe perhaps a temporary thing because obviously the current situation may be back next season. Um, I did notice they give, did give some of the players like Funa, Colette and Walduck um, a run out against a England under 20 team didn't at the weekend um sort of a newcastle 15 play play them and won some like 43 28 something like that had a pretty convincing win um so i mean obviously i think they're trying their best to give these people i think that's amazing playing that as well um i think they're obviously trying to give some of these players a bit of a run out in in whatever sort of games that they can but obviously it's really limited and we've talked about before about sort of what players are they going to pick for the European games and how sort of seriously we're going to take them in terms of trying to win it, or are we just going to use it as a chance to, to kind of play the, these fringe players. Yeah. That, um, Falcons B team versus England. Would have actually been quite a good one. If it was televised, I think, I think I might've tuned into that just to sort of thing where they could have just stuck a person with their iPhone videoing it and streamed it or something um, in the, from the stands, because it would be nice to see some of the squad players playing, and also nice to see some of the young England potential prospects for the future, just to see them get a run out. I remember, must be about 10 years ago now, as um, there's an England under-20s v Scotland under-20s game at Kingston Park. It was a horrible Friday night with horizontal sleet, I seem to remember. And I think England got beaten nine points to six by Scotland. George Ford couldn't catch a cold that night. It was an absolute shocker. Missed every kick he tried to do. Couldn't catch the ball. Absolutely rubbish. Kind of... Some, some reminiscent of some performances recently but um, it's the sort of thing where those sorts of fixtures are ones that are actually quite interesting to watch because you do see a different style of play and you see some new players that you haven't necessarily uh, picked up on before yeah I think I, mean, I could be wrong here but I think in normal times Sky does broadcast some of the under 20 games so some of the under 26 nations games um, obviously that I mean it could be that just hasn't happened this year because Whilst the absolute top teams are given exemptions to travel, that probably doesn't apply to the under-20 teams, which is maybe why you've got England under-20 playing sort of premiership club teams, because they're simply just the, the laws and regulations that they, they can't travel outside the country. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, it would have been nice. I mean, I'm, the Falcons or whatever could have put stream up or, or something. Yeah, it's, it's always nice to kind of watch these games because it does, as you say, give you an indication of sort of who these players are and sort of wants to keep an eye out for the future. But I think a positive thing is actually our academy seems to be quite good. I think we have, do have quite a few exciting players coming through. So, well, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. And hopefully we'll, we'll see some of these players sort of come through and challenge for the first team in the next couple of years or so. Moving on to a, another rugby game this weekend that probably lots of us watched, um, England v Ireland. Um, I think the less said about that, the better, to be honest. Once again, absolutely abysmal by England. The first time we've lost against all the home nations since 1976. I don't know whether we want to call it the triple frown or triple clown or something like that, but certainly not a good record to have. Absolutely horrendous. And then um, 
Yeah, not much to say about that really. Apart from, um, I think every single one of the Irish players played better than every single one of the English players. Well, I mean, you can cut, copy and paste the segment I said a few seconds ago in terms of how at the start we had to work really hard to get our points, and Ireland didn't have to work hard at all to get theirs. And again, that sort of sets a pattern. I think I even sent you a message saying, "Oh, it's just like watching Falcons," um, exactly for for that reason. But yeah, I mean, I'm getting tired of saying it all the time. And again, you can probably just copy and paste bits from the Scotland and, and Wales games. But absolute disgrace. It was. You could just tell, you know, straight away from the off that they just weren't there. Ireland, I think, were very much up for it. Um, they dominated us in the forwards, where normally it's the other way round. Scrums were a disaster. Um, Daly was a disaster. Um, they looked like they had much more ideas, are much better with the ball. They had all the that after the initial once they got back into the game they had much more territory in possession they a lot of these teams they look they look like they can sort of pull rabbits out of that they look like they have a plan b so i mean their their tribe the cross field tribe for example really really good um and i think we all thought that once they got to 20 points to six that was kind of it you know we there was looking at the way england were playing unless they had a, an incredible turnaround like we saw in wasps the other day you know we we're going to be absolutely stuffed um I think the score was just flattering at the end because obviously they were down to 14. And I even texted you at the time saying, in terms of the score was before the, the sending off, that was kind of like scores Italy have against these sort of teams. And quite frankly, I thought many ways we were just at that level. Um, you know, we, we can, in terms of the problems, we can just sort of repeat the ones that we said again after the Scotland and Wales games. Um, but I think the bottom line is, I obviously think there's more than ever, but Jones has got to go. Um, it, it's the book has to stop with him. It's all his fault. He's picked the players. He's prepared the players for the game. It hasn't worked at all. We've been utterly humiliated. I mean, thanks for the good memories of winning the Grand Slam and the obviously situation we won. But you know, for the grace of God, please just just go. We got to the World Cup final, and obviously we got thoroughly outclassed there without a plan B. And I know everyone's talking about Eddie Jones building the squad for the next World Cup in what is it two years time now? But sorry. I don't buy that. You, you have to try to, to win the Six Nations in between the World Cups. It's not just about um, a few autumn internationals, which, let's be honest, is just a money spinner for the RFU. It's 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 about the Six Nations year on year, and then the World Cups, the the, the once in a four year cycle. It's not about um, try and build for a World Cup, which means you can suddenly lose a load of matches in the meantime. It, I just don't buy it. Um, one thing that I found um, yesterday, Keith Earls try, and um, when he kind of turned Johnny May inside out, reminded me a little bit of Adam Radwan. Um, I suppose they must have all been watching Adam Radwan's highlight reels loads. And Keith Earls knew that if he got Johnny May one on one, then he just kind of swerves in, swerves out, and he's touching at straws. Yeah, well, I mean, it's in terms of pressure on the World Cup, I mean, Jones comments at the end saying, oh, well, the team is going for a reset. Well, how's it going for a reset when you're picking the same poorly playing players week in, week out? It doesn't seem like much of a reset to me. What about, you know, obviously, everyone talks about Sam Simmons, what about Don Brandt as well? You've got all these players who are playing exceptional week in week out in the premiership you mentioned it before you should be picking players on form and he just doesn't for whatever reason it's have his policy or the rfu policy you know we've discussed it before but it, it just doesn't work you know you don't finish fifth for the six nations you know if if things are working and quite clearly it doesn't working it isn't working and you know you, you've got to make changes and that that starts with with jones going yeah, I think um, we mentioned fly halves of the Falcons a bit earlier. Johnny Sexton was once again phenomenal. What that we have there is a fly half. He's a natural fly half. A very good, brilliant player. Understands the game. Plays with his head up. Can adapt. Has a plan B. Even in a phase of play, if what he initially planned isn't going to come off, he'll just do something else, take it up himself. 
put a really good kick in behind or something. Look at George Ford. I don't think we've got that. Owen Farrell, don't think we've got it. Both robots. And also, when um, I think Robson was playing fly half at the end after a couple of injuries, or the Ford went off and then Farrell got his head assessment, um, I don't feel that he looked like a worse fly half than George Ford or Owen Farrell did, which I think sums it all up when you've got someone who's not really played fly half um, significantly in their career, apart from when they've been filling in quirky situations like that, that ultimately put the, the long pass in for the try at the end and looked kind of just as good as our starting fly half in the World Cup final last year. Yeah, well, some of that, I mean, that kind of goes into what we've said before about how players and players individuals, they kind of just play what they're told to play in the position. And that probably sums it up, how you can you can just take whatever player out, but never player in, and it makes no difference whatsoever, for better or for, for worse, perhaps. But, I mean, the thing that Ireland have always been really, really good at for, for years now, um, which I've always noticed for them is they're exceptionally well disciplined. They very rarely give anything away in that, in you know, in terms of penalties. And obviously we're, we're the complete opposite of that. It's, it's like it's just like all the other games. It's it's the penalties that, that killed us. You know, Ireland especially don't give away many penalties. We're the complete opposite of that. We just give we just give away penalties for fun, and you just can't beat. You, you cannot win top level internationals if you keep giving away if you give away double the amount of penalties as, as a team you're playing against. It, but it's like, it's like all these other games. These teams don't even need to play, to play well because we just gift them the points at, at every game. Um, and I, I can't see how we're going to get that down because if, if you don't change the personnel, these, it's just the same players week in week out giving away all the penalties. Uh, they're trying to get those refs in. Yes, it sort of it worked for France. Fine, it was a bit better, not wonderful, but it was better. But maybe just the fact they were panicking or because we were playing so badly, they just kind of reverted back to their old habits of just giving away penalty after penalty after penalty. And it just you know it just it was just got worse in the second half. It just it just made it harder and harder for themselves. And obviously even with the man advantage at the end it didn't matter the game's already well gone by then one slight bit of consolation this weekend was it was St Cuthbert's Day yesterday on Saturday so I kind of saw myself as Northumbrian not English so I, I guess I can claim not to have been too invested in the game which which kind of got me thinking of um, should ancient kingdom of Northumbria declare independence from England and then we can just import a load of South Africans and Fijians give them residency and then um, kind of beat Scotland and beat Wales every year and then get rid of Italy out of the Six Nations I think it'll probably be if you look at all the players that could by rights play for Northumbria a reasonable quality within the Falcons setup who would probably be eligible by now and then um, you've probably got a load of other players globally who've got a a granny that was from Sunderland or um, someone who has now had a posters in the war and uh, illegitimately fathered someone or, or something and we'll be able to scrape together a, a 15 that could put put a number on uh, someone every now and again uh yeah sure why not to have a go couldn't be much worse than it is now <laughs> <laughs> um and i guess that the final one we've kind of can't really miss is the um the wales france game last night um i think that's probably one of the best games of rugby that i've seen in certainly the last few years um if not my my lifetime of watching it was it was constantly ebbs and flows, brilliant tries by both teams, drama, controversy, everything you could want, and a fantastic finale. Um, and I have to admit, I, I was cheering on the French for a change, which was quite a quite quite a surprise. But um, I, I just couldn't bring myself to watch Wales win a Grand Slam the way it's been this year. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, I, I can't really begrudge Wales too much. I mean, it's not their fault. All the teams they've played against have been, well, crap and just imploded against them. You can't play what's in front of you, I suppose. Uh, would have been the sort of the jammiest Grand Slam, I think, in history. Uh, but thankfully, obviously, that, that hasn't happened. Um, I, I still think they've got to be in the driving seat to, to win it, though, because France have, a, have to do a real job over Scotland next weekend. And I, I, I mean, how are Scotland going to be up for it? Probably not. So, I mean, that probably helps the French, but it's, it's still a big mountain for them to climb. So despite not having Grand Slam, I still think Wales have sort of almost, not quite sleepwalked, but have kind of not even got out of sort of second or third gear and are going to win a Six Nations. Yeah, the challenge France have got, um, I, I tried looking at the maths earlier, I hope I've got it right. They they need to win by 21 points with a five-point bonus point victory. So that means four tries against Scotland, which is definitely not as easy as it used to be. Will they pull that off? My gut says that France will scrape it. Um, if they don't scrape it, it'll, it'll be one of these ones where it happens on a Friday night next week, I think it's scheduled to be. And um, Wales will win the Six Nations, but everyone's kind of forget about it because Wales didn't win the Grand Slam last night. They'll end up winning the Six Nations when they're not playing in a weekend they're not playing I think it was kind of get forgotten about be one of these kind of strange six nations where everyone in a few years time thinks who actually won that oh yeah it was actually Wales should be a good finale one interesting thing is um, I'm not sure Racing 92 are obligated to release Finn Russell for the match um, I know that the English Premiership clubs have said that they'll release the Scottish players I'm sure the French clubs will release the French ones but um, another Scott LaRue also with a French club, which I can't remember at the minute. But, um, yeah, those two uh, contracts by French clubs, and I think technically they've probably got to get permission to play in that final game. So it'll be interesting whether the French allow it. Yeah, especially as the French will probably like it if Finn Russell can't play against them. Uh, so it's quite an interesting one, that. Funny. See what happens, see if they, if they kind of sort of do... T- t- probably the typical French thing would be to sort of block it. But we'll, uh, we'll see what happens, I guess. So if we round up this week's matches and results, um, on Friday night, obviously, we lost to Wasps, 20 points to 18. Um, a lot of points scored yesterday in the Premiership, that was being Saturday. We had Bath, who were 47-22 victors against Worcester. Harlequins, 59 points to 24 against Gloucester. And Exeter, 47 points to 31 against Leicester. Um Two red cards in both, or two of those games, um, once again for shoulders to the head and a tackle. I don't know whether this is one of the things where we're just going to have to hope that players remember that you can't tackle people in the head with the, your shoulder, or whether it's just going to be sort of thing where at some point they'll start giving yellow cards, not red cards, but it seems to be a resounding feature at the minute of both Six Nations and Premiership games that almost 50% of them, it would seem, end up having straight red cards, which not only massively affect the game itself, but they also have a huge impact on suspensions because it seems to be in the olden days you could commit basically GBH and get a, a two-week ban, whereas now um, you can tackle someone a bit carelessly or just not even badly and it's an unfortunate collision or the player ducks into the contact and you end up clobbering them in the head, you get a red card and then you're out for four, six, eight weeks. And um, I don't know whether someone needs to look at the suspensions for it because some of these definitely aren't reckless tackles some of them are arguably yeah a little bit dangerous but it does seem that a four six eight week ban is somewhat disproportionate to just a bit of slack timing i can see why they are if you're doing it because they're terrified of getting sued in 20 years time for concussion uh, or the re- results of concussions but um it's one of those ones where i'm not quite sure what the answer is at the minute and then finally today um bristol once again gave away a bonus point in their victory um Northampton got 21 to Bristol's 28. 
and Sale bounced back from last week's defeat. Um, they beat London Irish 41 points to 13. We've mentioned the Six Nations briefly. Um, Scotland ended up beating Italy 52 points to 10, which makes England's performance against Italy the worst out of all the nations. Um, Ireland beat England 32-18, as we discussed, and then France won, won in the last play of the game against 32 points to 30. As far as the tables go, Six Nations currently stands with Wales on 20 points, Ireland on 15, ahead of France, who are also on 15, but obviously France need to win by 21 points on that bonus point next weekend to win the, the table. Um, Scotland can actually finish in second for the first time in quite a number of years I believe if they beat France on Friday if, I think they need a bonus point victory and then um, England are going to finish embarrassingly in fifth um, on 10 points with Italy once again on zero Italy conceding an average of what will that be 48 points a game I don't know how long we can keep them in the Six Nations for at that rate how bad would Georgia be if they were in I, I really don't know um, well, if Georgia were in the Six Nations instead of Italy within two or three years would they have boxed up their ideas enough not to get hammered to the same extent every week not sure. Premiership table. Bristol still on seven points ahead of um, Exeter with 56 versus 49. Harlequins on 44. Sale on 42. There's a little bit of a gap when it all gets very close with Northampton on in fifth with 36. London Irish with 35. Bath with 34. Leicester with 33. Falcons and Wasps both have 30. Gloucester have 20 and Worcester have 18. Right, so I think that summarises all of our, our woes for this week. Hopefully next week, um, well, we won't have England to moan about, so hopefully it's not Falcons to moan about as well, and we actually rejoice in the victory for once. Thanks for listening, and it's goodbye from me. Bye, everyone.